The student owns their future. They own that college admissions process. And it's really a whole mindset shift for the student and for the parent. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I am really looking forward to this conversation today with Dr. Pamela Ellis. We are talking about college admissions, which I know is so difficult for so many parents of kids with learning challenges, because not only are we looking really for the right fit uh, for what our kid might want to study or the right environment for them, but we're also looking for the right college or university for learning challenges. And that can be another layer of what we really have to research and look into and make decisions about. So really excited to offer this to you guys today. Will you start, Dr. Pamela, with introducing yourself, who you are and what you do? Oh, absolutely, Penny. Thank you so much. I am really excited to join you today. So I'm Dr. Pamela Ellis. And in short, what I do is I partner with busy moms to help their teen find a college that feels like home without overpaying. Mm. Feels Mm. like home. That is so good. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And very important because they're going away from home in many cases for the first time. And it's a big life shift and adjustment. And so it's important that wherever they go after high school, that it does feel like home like an old shoe and comfortable in so many ways. I love that. Yeah, let's talk then about what parents are really looking for. How do they help to guide their kids in this decision of where they want to go, maybe even what they want to study or what they're going to start doing once they arrive? Yeah, that's that's a pretty big question. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always share with parents in thinking about this is that the whole process really starts with their teen in terms of, you know, who their teen is and what their why is for college. And we oftentimes, you know, for many of us, we probably read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And that book applies to college admissions as well, because when you start with why, it makes all the difference in terms of everything else that's going to happen in the process. And so, you know, if your teen wants to go to college uh, to be more independent, maybe that's their why for college, then that's going to make a difference in terms of what you do. Same way if their why is they want to go to prepare for a career. And so it always starts though with, you know, what's the why? And then it could be, you know, doing some initial interest inventories or assessments to get a sense for what they may want to study, what type of college could be a good fit for them. And I want to share Penny, something, you know, for your listening audience, because 
we hear a lot about finding a good fit and there is um, some factors of fit that I want parents to consider that, you know, helps to really make this a little bit more practical. Okay. And that is, there are five areas of fit. And I'll just describe them briefly. So the academic fit, which is really, you know, what the curriculum is at that particular college. And that could be, you know, academic learning center access. It's the faulty ratio. It's also particular disciplines. So that's the academic fit. The second area of fit is social. So where can they go and make friends? You know, that's the important piece for the social fit. And you can look at the residential experience to, you know, learn a little bit more about that fit. The third area of fit is the financial fit. So it's, you know, what types of scholarships or what types of financial aid is offered at a, at a college because you want that financial fit to also be there. And then the fourth area of fit is vocational. So what is it that they want to do after college? And does that college, you know, provide them the support for doing that either through their career planning and placement office or through their alumni network? Those are the two areas to look at for that. And then the fifth area of fit, which is, you know, I didn't even mention it in my book, but certainly it's become more resonant in the last year in the environment that we're in, and that's cultural fit. So however your team may be different uh, from the majority of students on that campus, how will that play a role in terms of that college being able to serve them well? So those are the five areas of fit. And if we go back to you know, looking at that academic fit, especially around the learning difference, you know, there are a whole host of colleges that can be a great fit for your team with whatever type of learning difference they have. Because colleges are certainly aware that students are all different types of learners and they do make efforts to support students in that regard. Yeah. I'm going to stop right now because I feel like I've said a lot. <laughs> and I, want, <laughs> I want everyone to be able to unpack it a little bit. <laughs> right, to process. Yeah, so I was just thinking when you talked about your five areas of fit, that balance with those is super important. My daughter is in college. She's in her fourth year, and she prioritized that vocational fit and ended up going six hours from home even though she didn't know anybody, she's a huge introvert and has a lot of anxiety. And so that piece of it was not a great fit. And she struggled some with that. And I think had we known better, trying to find some balance with that would have been a little more helpful to her. But at the time, she was very, very focused on vocational. That was her number one. And this was the place and that was it. And it turns out, she actually decided after diving into that area of study a little bit that she did not want to do animation. And that was why she had chosen that school further away than she wanted to be. So I just caution that balance seems to be 
really important. And especially I think with kids mm-hmm. with learning differences who are still going to depend on us some in different ways and will need that support. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when I am, you know, talking with families about those five areas of fit, I do mean that balance of it. I don't mean that any one of them supersedes Mm -hmm. another. And a lot of times, you know, kids and parents alike will become super focused around one of those areas. Um, And perhaps it's done, you know, subconsciously, but they will get honed in on a particular brand name of a college. And it's usually for one particular reason that they're honed in on that college that pretty much probably aligns up with one of those five areas. They're focused on that. But when they look at it holistically, as far as the balance across the other four areas, they oftentimes find that, oh, this college really isn't a fit for me like I thought it would be. Right. So, yes. So one of the things that I do, you know, with my students when we are working on developing their list is I have them complete a rubric that just goes through item by item, really, you know, how to research a college. And they're looking at the college, they're researching it based on those five areas. And when they do that, it usually takes them a little bit of time to do it, like, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes to do to research one college. But when they do it that way, they find that, wow, this is a little bit different than I thought it would be. And that's really about looking at all areas of fit and not just focusing on one, because that opens up a lot so that you do get to having that balance And it's not just one sided because, you know, kids, they change their mind. You know, they, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, they are. I know for me, I was to share my story. I thought I was going to major in physics when I went to college. Mm. And all I needed to do was to, you know, take a physics class my first quarter and completely bombed out of that. And that was the end of it, you know? So, yeah, I have a similar science. College yes. story myself. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up majoring in linguistics. You know, that's something I never heard of before, but I loved it. And so you, you change your mind. A lot of things change. The same with, you know, students who say they want to go to college to be a, a scholar athlete and they get there and they no longer want to do that sport. So what do you do if that was the only reason you went to that college? Yeah. So you need that balance. It all matters. And I love that you have a rubric for the students to complete for that so that it's something outside of parents telling them that they need to pay attention to these other factors. Because often, you know, they don't listen very much to us. They don't want to take our advice because we're the parents. So that's a really helpful thing to have some outside influence that's helping them to research themselves and get that balance. Yes, I hate to say it, but that's one of the reasons that my business thrives is because teens don't listen to their parents. And that's, I know that from my own kids, they don't listen to me, (laughs) but you know, if you were to tell them, they would listen to you because you were third party. And so it works certainly that way with me in terms of, you know, the families that I work with, I'll hear parents often remark that, you know, they'll say, you know, Dr. Pamela, you know, I've been telling them that for a hundred years and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything about it, but you tell them and they've done it. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm not their parent. And it's true. And it was the same way for me growing up. I, I mean, my parents didn't know anything until I got to college. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. when the whole relationship really shifted where I listened to them. And especially now that I'm a mom, it's like, wow, my mom had some wisdom. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was when I became a parent that I was like, oh, this is yes. all falling into place now. I get it. Yeah, but it's hard to really get our teens to um, take our advice in a lot of ways. And and they want to find their own path. And I think there's a lot of power in that for them finding their own path. And But they have to, you know, do it with some practicality and also need to understand that that path is still going to grow and change. They aren't necessarily going to end up at the end of college where they started. They might change their major. They might start not knowing what to do and find their way through that process. Or they could be like me and be, you know, 35 before they figure out, oh, what I was doing is not what I want to do. This is what I really want to do, right? Because life exactly. also creates that journey. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point around um, what I refer to it as is the student owns their future. They own that college admissions process and it's really a whole mindset shift for the student and for the parent. But when I'm, you know, talking with them initially, um, I share with them that, you know, that's that's the glue that holds my whole framework together. You know, I have this great framework for how you can get in and get money for college and all of the research behind that and how it works. But it's nothing if the teen doesn't own the process. Yeah. And so that's uber important. And I always, you know, share that with parents, you know, as they're getting their child, you know, ready, you know, whether they do it on their own, they still need to let their teen own the process because that's the only way they're going to really be able to find that, you know, those colleges that are a great fit Mm -hmm. And for them to thrive, because when they own the process, they are actually developing those life skills that they're going to use in college and beyond. Yeah. And that all kind of circles back to the why. You know, if you're going to college just because that's what you think you're supposed to do or because your parents want you to and you really don't have any sort of connection to it otherwise, it's going to be really tough for that student to succeed at that time, it doesn't mean that later yeah. down the road, college might not be a good fit, you know, but maybe right then, if there's really no meaning or motivation there, you might be flushing your money, you know, you might Absolutely. need to just postpone, just push that off a little bit, find some other things that are motivating, especially in our community with kids with differences. It's really important that they're ready and that they're owning it, because if they don't, it's just going to flop. And it's painful for everyone then. It really is. And that's where I think there's a lot of value in a gap year or bridge year program that students can do immediately after high school. So anytime, really, it doesn't have to be immediately, but anytime between high school and college. Because I know I sure do wish I could have done that. (laughs) Yeah. It would have, you know, it would have just given me a better attitude and a way of navigating through college because I just 
couldn't really enjoy it and take advantage of the experience because I was already so stressed out from high school and then to go into a super high stressed environment, you know, thousands of miles away from home. Mm. And so those gap year and bridge year programs really do make a difference. And for some students, you know, it's a time to really figure out what they want to do in some cases before you go and make a quarter million dollar investment in them doing so. Yeah. Giving them that time. There are many gap year and bridge programs that are specific to learning differences or ADHD or autism spectrum. And those can be really fantastic in, in kind of bridging that gap in skills, giving them a little more time to catch up and also to learn those life skills that they're going to need because it's going to be on them. You know, we can help them through school at home and through high school and getting graduated and even applications and taking the tests they need. But once they turn 18 and once they're in college, it's up to them. They have to ask for the help. They have to use their skills. They have to manage themselves. And sometimes kids at 18 just aren't quite ready for that yet. Yeah, that's so true. Very true. Let's talk about some other things for kids with learning differences. What other supports are there? I think a lot of parents worry that their kid is not going to have any support at all, especially if they go far away to college and they're used to sort of scaffolding and being a real support system for them. They're really worried that they're not going to have any help with their learning differences, but there's lots of help to be had. Oh, there absolutely is. And, you know, each campus may do it slightly differently, but I will look at a campus like University of Arizona. I take them for example, because I think of them as like a beacon in terms of being able to support students with learning differences. And I would say, look at what they're doing and use that as a good comparison for other colleges that could be a good fit for your teen. And so some of the things that they offer, so they have this center called SALT. I can't think of the the full name for this acronym, but I think it's around uh, Academic Learning Center. And so at the SALT Center, what they, all the resources they have are just incredible. And they have all kinds of wraparound support, if you will, for students with learning differences. And so it's a way of, you know, students just being being able to be a part of this community where they have professionals there who, you know, understand well how to support students with learning differences. It's also supported in the classroom. It's supported around your through your peers that are there. And so that's why I call it a complete wraparound because it's not just you have this isolated academic learning center that, you know, you kind of go in hiding, if you will, and feel right. somewhat stigmatized uh, to go there. But there are other students, you know, on campus who work within SALT. They're professionals from the community. And so whatever your learning difference may be, they have some support there with it. And so they'll have, uh, for example, note takers 
They have these pens that they use. Um, I can't remember the name of the live scribe. Yes, I think that's yeah. it. Um, but there were there were just so they use they integrate technology well in terms mm-hmm. of helping students with their learning difference. And it's really all about, you know, what can we do to help students be successful? You know, whatever their learning difference is. And I, I did a, a presentation with them a few years ago because I worked with a lot of students and I would say you know, probably more than have actually been diagnosed that have ADHD. And I wanted to, you know, visit more colleges that offered really robust services so that I could then, you know, have a a good sense for, you know, how to help them with developing their list and making sure that the colleges could meet their academic needs in that way. And so I, I had done this presentation there and it was just, it was awesome in terms of, you know, all that they discussed around how they support students. And this is something that they've been doing for years and continue to do. And so you knew that they knew what they were talking about and they just right. didn't put this together willy nilly. Um, but there are a number of other colleges that offer that. And so acad- when you, you know, look at the college, certainly, you know, looking into their academic support center and um, looking at, you know, the professionals that they have working there, uh, what type of services they provide, learning if there's a fee for those services, Mm -hmm. because sometimes colleges do charge for that. And really uh, seeing how your team will be supported there. And I know right now, the majority of campuses are doing virtual visits, but you can connect with the Academic Learning Center even in that process of discovery of, you know, developing your college list. And I would reach out to them and ask questions and really find out how they're going to support your team once they're there. Because they can always, you know, let you know just, you know, their availability, if they have tutors. I mean, some colleges may have a writing center or they have a math center if you have dyscalculia. And so there there are just so many different support services that they offer. And then if if the college is located in a more remote location, oftentimes they may have professionals in the community that may, you know, be available to provide support services. So like it's some of your more rural, smaller colleges, that may be the way it's set up. But you can certainly ask those questions in that, you know, early phase of developing your list and really learning what they have to offer. Yeah, my daughter goes to a state supported college, it has 30,000 students or close to it. And I was really amazed that they have not just for kids with learning differences or mental health challenges, but for all of the students, they have free tutoring, they have the writing center, um, they also have free counseling, which I think has a pretty big wait list. It's not perfect, but you know they have some of that support. So not even just for academic, but also for emotional and mental health support, which is which is huge. You know, it's it's a big transition for kids. When I went to college, I was really excited to be independent and I really couldn't wait to go. And for 
my own daughter, it was not the same. She did not have that same drive. And so the transition was harder for her. And I saw a lot of her friends too, and, and the kids that she was meeting there, that it was really hard for them as well. And I, I never, I guess I took for granted that I had all this motivation that made it easier for me to just dive in and do it. And not all kids have that. And so it can really knock them off their feet at first. And having support just for any student is really helpful, but definitely that, that mental health and, and emotional support is really ideal. I, I was always surprised by how many emotional support animals were in the dorms and oh, yeah. in the apartment buildings. Like they're really open to so much of that, that different people need at different times, you know. Oh, and they really are. And that has been a strong, you know, one of the stronger trends that I've seen over the last 20, 25 years is, you know, how much support campuses have now around mental and social emotional wellness. Yeah. And it's so important. And when they get there yeah. and they're out of their element, it's even more important. You know, they need to have somewhere to reach out to and, and get that support and that help oftentimes. And so, yeah, I'm just, I was really amazed. Mm -hmm. And the thing that brings up for me, Penny, is even looking at how colleges handle freshman orientation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that speaks volumes around the kind of support that they will have for students as they transition to a new home, a new campus life. And I mean, they shouldn't, you know, understand well how to handle homesickness and yeah. what kinds of activities do they offer to get students engaged, to meet friends. Even their housing policy in freshman year can speak volumes to how they're going to support your teen with transitioning because freshman year is such a critical year and speaks everything to the remainder of their college experience. And so that's something that I would also recommend looking into to get a sense for how will my team be supported when they're there. And oftentimes they will even, you know, they'll have like the Academic Learning Center will be very much involved in freshman orientation so that mm -hmm. students know that they're there. Because the key thing that we have to make sure our students understand before they go is that once they go, they have to self-advocate. And if they're not learning those self-advocacy skills while they're in high school, then it just makes it a little bit of a challenge uh, when they get to college. And so that's why it's important that, you know, the Academic Learning Center you know, they're taking part in freshman orientation so that students know that they're there and what resources they offer and get connected sooner rather than later. Yeah, my daughter's freshman orientation was actually led by the director of the academic services department. And he reiterated over and over, if you need something, ask for it. <laughs> you know, we're here. And this was just for a general group of students. You know, this was for all the freshmen coming in. Um, they really, I was, again, I was surprised. It's been, you know, 25 years since I was at college. Things have definitely changed for the better. And there's a lot more discussion and openness around learning challenges, mental health issues. And I think that's really, really important, especially for kids like, 
like mine, you know, the parents who are listening, it's, it's necessary to have that support. And it's also necessary to teach your kid to use it because I can't tell you how many parents of college kids I talk to who say, well, we talked all about it, but they refuse to use it. You know, you really have to, like you were saying, start on self advocacy early and really build that, that attitude that I have differences, but it's okay. You know, when they're ashamed of it, then they're not going to use services that could really help them succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other question I had was, are there colleges, and I think the answer to this is yes, but are there colleges that cater specifically to students with learning challenges who only have students with learning challenges, let's say? Oh, there absolutely are. There absolutely are. There are a number of them. One of them that comes to mind right away, a couple of them in the New England area, Curry College, C-U-R-R-Y, and Springfield College. So those are the couple of colleges that come to mind for me right away as having um, very strong support and almost predominantly students with academic learning differences. I think Mitchell is another one. So those are the ones that come to mind right away. But there's so there are really many more than that. And Landmark College, Landmark Landmark, College comes to mind for me because they also have gap year and summer programs and a lot of things to really get kids with learning differences engaged in um, knowing that they could succeed at college and being prepared for it. Yeah, they absolutely do. And I visited their program uh, for high schoolers. They have a boarding school there. And, you know, a lot of my work earlier on was, you know, finding the right high school, because that certainly plays a huge role in terms of then going on to college. And so I had visited with them um, several years back And they had a wonderful, wonderful program there at the secondary level. But one of my students, um, they had an amazing summer program. And so one of my students, she wouldn't have been a candidate for their boarding school, but she certainly was a great candidate for their summer program. And she participated in that. And boy, did that really open her eyes and I think open her confidence as far as, you know, self-advocacy and not carrying the shame around mm-hmm. her academic difference and really positioned her well to find those colleges that were a good fit and to flourish and thrive once she got to college. And so that experience, that summer experience at Landmark was, you know, really transformational. Yeah, that's so I'm amazing. Glad you brought them up. Yeah, that was the one that I knew about. Um, I'm sure there's so so many more too, and probably more and more cropping up as we have more and more neurodiversity. You know, it's only growing in the need, and so hopefully there's yeah more coming on the and down the pipeline too. Any yeah. other big advice that you want to share or tidbits for parents before we wrap up? Um, I would say even you know in high school making sure that your teen still has the tools that support their success academically and socially. And so 
one of the things that come to mind for me, um, one of my students uh, who had a learning difference, you know, he was talking to me about some of his struggles of keeping up in class and especially around note taking. And so the tool that I shared with him was how to do Cornell notes mm. and testing that out as a way to be able to focus a little bit better in his class without being overwhelmed with the lecturing. And so mm -hmm. just using a simple tool like that helped him to stay on track a bit better. And so I would offer to parents, you know, different um, tools or different uh, methodologies that could work, you know, for them to see some success in high school that could go a long way because it certainly goes a long way in terms of confidence. And so much of this, you know, in a lot of ways is confidence. And I was just kind of looking around in my office to find this book called ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life. Mm, and yeah. um, I bought this book actually for myself because as I have worked with students over the years and, you know, my daughter had gotten a diagnosis, but she was like on the border, if you mm -hmm. will. And I just think, you know, something I haven't been diagnosed, but I certainly have some symptoms, you know, right. if you look at, you know, that chart and if you choose five of them, it's like, oh yeah, I think I have a seven of them at least. <laughs> 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 because, you know, it sounds so crazy, but, you know, when I was looking at the numbers and I can't, I don't remember where I was looking, but I was looking at the numbers and it was saying how, you know, a certain percentage of kids have ADHD and it was something like, you know, 9%, but the adult population is, you know, like two or 3%. And I'm thinking like, really? It's almost like, mm -hmm. do you not have it anymore? I'm thinking that it's because a lot of us adults have never been diagnosed. Right. We have it. Right. So anyway, but just some of the strategies in that book, you know, could be really helpful and things that they can start applying in high school, not waiting for college to be the place where they get the support or start doing, but how do you start doing that while they're still in high school or middle school and really giving them those opportunities to own their learning even then? And I think success in high school makes you more confident that you could be successful in college, it where does. if you really struggled in high school and it was just such a horrible experience, then can you? hack it in college. I mean, that's what you're going to ask yourself in that situation. And, you know, success breeds success. So the better their high school experience, the more likely they would be to feel like they were capable of doing it and succeeding at it. And I think that's so, so important. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights, the college admission process and choosing school and finances and all the stuff that goes with it can be so overwhelming for parents. And it's so helpful to have someone like you who can guide us through that process and really help make it the most effective decision making for our kids going forward. Yeah. And the key thing, you know, in all of my work is I want parents to be able to support their kids with grace and ease. 
Um, mm. I just don't believe in all of the stress and hype about, oh, you got to do this, do that. You got to, you know, take all these tests. And it's like, oh, no, please stop. <laughs> Who wants to do all of that? <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have more than one. I mean, you'll be running around like a crazy person. But really, mm-hmm. you know, how do you do it with grace and ease? And so, you know, the thing that, you know, I think about every day is how do I manage down, you know, with this? And so, you know, when parents are asking me questions about what they should do, my first thought is what response can I give to them that's going to take away some of the stress or take away the overwhelm of this whole process? So needed. Yeah. Yeah. Such good work. For everyone listening, you can get the show notes where I'll have links to Dr. Pamela's website and social media, as well as any of the resources that we've talked about, the books that Dr. Pamela has mentioned and other things. It will all be linked up there for you to make it easy for you to connect with her and her services and also learn more about the resources that she has also recommended outside of that. Those show notes for this episode are at Parenting ADHD and autism.com slash 118 for episode 118. And with that, we're going to end the episode. Thank you again so much, Dr. Pamela, for being here. And I will see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.